Hey everyone, welcome to the Reboot Podcast, Wisdom for Work. I'm Andy Chrisinger, and I'm here today with my colleague, Chris Vandenbrink. Chris, good to be with you. Thanks, Andy. Great to be here. Today, we wanted to do a really short, uh, but hopefully helpful episode about conflict, navigating conflict. As coaches, as facilitators, this is one of the most prevalent topics that is mentioned when clients reach out to us for help. And it usually goes something like, help, I am struggling, or we are struggling as a leadership team uh, to get along. In fact, we just we had an inquiry just recently that I really appreciated because it was so beautifully honest. And it was something to the effect of, um, my coworker and I just can't get along. Hmm. We're doing such good work, but this is getting in the way. Can you help us? So we wanted to, to share something in the form of a, a short podcast with some of the best practices that we use when we meet those kinds of issues in clients and client organizations. So Chris, maybe we can start, you and I had talked about before we started recording, just a couple of uh, common conflict patterns that might present when we're working with conflicts. Maybe we start there just so people can kind of relate their own experience to those examples. So you want to share an example or two? Yeah, absolutely. So these are actually uh, examples, but they are indicative of real life situations that that we find ourselves in as coaches at Reboot. And mm -hmm. uh, two that maybe we'll, we'll weave throughout the conversation today is conflict with co-founders, where you have two or three or four, as the case may be at times, people who all have uh, a, a really vested interest in the outcomes, the processes of a company, and they are owners of it. And their relational dynamics, which at times come to a head uh, under you know high pressure situations. So mm. co-founder conflict is one that we see a lot and we'll mm -hmm. talk about today. And then also team dynamics, and especially around something in which there is some pressure like a launch, either a, a product launch or um, a feature launch, something in which there's a deadline and uh, where there's cross-functional collaboration that needs to happen and there's potential for disagreement along the way. And th those are two that come up quite often that uh, I think we can focus on today. Great. Yep. So, you know, conflict that might be interpersonal between business partners, um, perhaps mixed in there could be things like um, uh, jealousy, uh, resentment, uh, frustration that one person thinking the other person isn't pulling their weight in the same way, variety of other things that could be wrapped up in that. Another example is more of a, a sort of group system. So there might be point to point conflict among a number of different folks around differing uh, approaches to, to achieve an objective or um, maybe missteps, uh, or maybe one one person thinks the other person made a misstep, either relationally or uh, practically in the execution of a task, and that can create conflict. So, hopefully, as as our listeners are hearing us describe these things, they're thinking about their own experiences at work. And we are, you know, obviously, conflict is one of these aspects of the human experience that transcends all domains. But we're going to focus specifically on on the work domain recognizing that the, the principles of addressing conflict are 
transferable across all of our lives, relationships. Uh, we'll be focusing on work. Uh, but hopefully you're thinking, uh, if you're listening, about your own experiences of conflict in the workplace and uh, can begin to apply some of these principles uh, to your own experience and hopefully see some ways forward. So let's talk first about why these experiences happen at all. Why is it that we find ourselves often caught up in these relational dynamics, conflicts, or even just difficult conversations at work? Yeah, Andy, and I think what you just said, uh, you kind of broke it out between conflict and difficult conversations. And mm. what we might notice is that uh, conflict is a is one type of difficult conversation. Right. And so if we just zoom out and think about uh, and ask this question, why are conversations difficult to begin with? I think we can start to start pick apart and understand how we get into conflict. And I think that for me, at least, I know when, when I'm coming into a difficult conversation, it is most often because there is something at stake for me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And maybe even more specifically, there is something that is a fear, a worry, or, or a concern for me, mm -hmm. or a desire that I have that I might feel is at risk, right? Yep. Yeah. And so another way to say this uh, is conversations in which we, we don't have a vested interest or there's not something at stake tend not to be difficult for us. Right. <laughs> right. Cause, cause we don't care and it makes sense that we right. don't care if we don't, if there's nothing at stake for us. Right. Yeah. It just kind of reminds me of like um, the way that we can use our emotional experiences that come and go like waves as indicators that are, are you know, when we find ourselves feeling big emotions like anger, fear, sadness, it's indicative of something that's at stake, right? Something matters here. And those emotions can become, you know, breadcrumbs back to whatever that thing is that really matters. Absolutely. And so if we map it to the two examples we began with, if you're a co-founder, uh, you just might imagine what might be at stake for you, right? It could be the success of the company, maybe at, might be what presents on the surface level. But it also might be, uh, you know, the fear of feeling like a failure mm, or mm -hmm. how, you, how you will be perceived to your investors, to your peer group, right? There could be some uh, fear of embarrassment or shame. Right, right. For the, the launch example, there might be uh, a desire to have your option or the way that you see the product uh, coming out into the world at risk, right? You want your way to be the right way. So there's, uh, what we start to see is that there's not only um, something at stake for us, but there's different ways that it might be at stake for us. Right. So that's a great, I think, segue into one of two frames or frameworks that we want to introduce in starting to get a handle on difficult conversations. And you, you were just setting that up so nicely. Let me talk a little bit about why these frames are helpful, and then we'll just go right into the one that you were kind of teeing up for us. Often when we're in these challenging uh, interactions, conversations, whether it's anywhere on the, you know, the gamut from just a difficult, awkward conversation to maybe an all-out direct conflict, um, those experiences can be confusing, overwhelming, they can feel muddy, and it can be hard to know what is the next right step that I can take here. 
And so we often get stuck and maybe we don't act or we stay in a stuck situation longer than we need to. And so it's helpful to have some really basic frameworks to start to apply like lenses through which we can look at a situation, which can then lead us to next actions that might be actually helpful and generative. So that's so there's two we want to bring in. Uh, and the first one is this idea of it, we, I, the three conversation levels. And we uh, originally borrowed this from the work of Doug Stone and Sheila Heen, written a couple of great books. Um, uh, Thanks for the feedback is one of them. And then prior to that, just the book, Difficult Conversations. And this is such a great insight. And it's the idea that um, there are multiple, there are things happening on multiple levels when we're in a conversation that matters, right? So Chris, you want to talk a little bit about the it, we, I framework and how that can be helpful in starting to suss out what's going on in a conflict. So the it, we, I framework, like you said, uh, is a really helpful frame to understand when we are in a difficult conversation and when we might feel like we're getting stuck, at what level are we getting stuck? And so the it level is the level that I, I observe most people think they're talking about or, or talking at most of the time. Right. So in, a, in the context of work, it's the uh, what, what products feature are we going to, to prioritize? It's the thing, the data, the topic. And so as best we can, the it level uh, wants to be a bit objective, right? L- less emotional, more, more circumstantial, more about the thing itself. And that tees up the we level where, okay, if you can think about the it, the thing, the we level now goes into the interrelational dynamics between the human beings that are perhaps talking about the it level right? And it's the ways they are talking about the it level or the ways they are talking about the, the ways they are having the conversation. And I'll also add, it's not only how you might be talking about, about it and the interrelational dynamic that occurs, but also the role that you, you are in, right? And so there are different we level conversations between a, a, a manager and their direct report there's different we level conversations between an intern and the CEO, right? There, there are these dynamics at play at well. And so it's the, the quality of the conversation between two people and the roles that they are in. And then, and, and then we get into the I level. So the I level is, uh, you could also call it the identity level. It's our view, our perspective of ourself how we see ourselves, uh, how we believe we should act or behave or, or be in a particular situation. And, and this is not just, oftentimes you see this with uh, kind of negative self-images, like I am not enough or I don't deserve to speak here. But you also see it in the, the other end of the spectrum, which is I'm right here, right? There's no way that right. I'm not right so right yeah and yep. you can just imagine as i say that how that could get one into a difficult conversation that includes conflict right absolutely uh maybe just a few things to build on um what you laid out there so well uh with the it we i framework sometimes i think about the sort of the cliche of the iceberg where you know as we all know there's a portion of the iceberg that's visible above the waterline there's a you know typically much larger portion that is floating below that's harder to see that's invisible unless we you know have a way of of 
of, of looking at it. And I think that often, especially in a professional context, the it is the level that's kind of always hanging out there above the waterline. It's a little easier to see, you know, it, it shows up when we're looking at, say, you know, a project planning sheet, you know, and we're disagreeing about how long something's going to take, uh, you know, some task or some part of the project's going to take or, uh, you know, the, the it is right there. But what, what's challenging about that is that we all see the it through our own lenses, our own, you know, you might check out the the episode that we did a while back on the ladder of inference, and you'll know that, you know, it's not that simple that the it is just objectively there, you know, we're all looking at it from our vantage points. And so um, that's a helpful thing to remember for it level conflicts. But then the we and the I can tend to be the part of the iceberg floating below the surface. Um, not always, sometimes it's super visible, but often those things are harder to see and we have to use some intentionality to see them. And um, so for instance, if you have two co-founders, like we were talking about earlier, maybe that are always, every time it comes you know, time to plan a project, they're always disagreeing about how to prioritize the work or how to estimate or who does what. That could be on one level perceived as an it conflict, but chances are, there's something going on at the level of we. There might be a lack of trust. There may be relational ruptures that have not been addressed or repaired. And so this is sort of an example of what we mean when we say kind of figure out on what level you're stuck and then try to address the difficulty or the conflict on that level is yeah. one way of using this tool. Yeah. I think that leads really nicely into the the second framework, Yep, um, which is the difference between and the combination of impact and intent. Yes. Yes. Another tool, by the way, that we, that we've borrowed from Stone and Heen. We're yep. grateful to them for that contribution. And I think it, it pairs really nicely with the it, we, I, because when we start to, you know, that example of the co-founders who are always in a disagreement about how to, you know, move forward with something, it's also important to understand what is each one of their, intentions in a mm, conversation mm -hmm, mm -hmm. what is their hopes their aspirations what they're what they're trying to accomplish right and then also what is the impact that the way the other person is showing up having on them yeah yep. right so co-founder a may always start with a disagreement and co-founder b may then bristle and say why do we always have to start with a disagreement and then this is not said out loud. It's under the surface to your point, but then it gets to the, creates the conditions for a disagreement, a conflict. Yeah, absolutely. So this is such a good one and so important. Um, and often when we teach disentangling intent and impact, we, we do it as a two by two, where you might envision, you know, one side of the two by two as things that I am aware of, things that, things that I can know. And then the other side, the things that I can't know unless it's you know disclosed to me. So what I can know, if I'm in a difficult conversation or a conflict, I can know what my intentions are, if I'm honest and I self-reflect. And I can know what the impact of the other person's behavior on me is. What I can't know, unless it's disclosed, is what their intentions are and the impact of my behavior on them. So it sets up this really healthy boundary structure in understanding ways that conflict can go wrong. It's in, it sort of, it sets up almost a kind of like container of fair communication as well. Yeah. Because if I'm playing within those rules, what I want to avoid is 
making quick assumptions about what your intentions are when you said that thing to me yesterday, but our brains can just make up meaning instantaneously and then believe that story. And that gets us into trouble because often the intentions of the other person are different from what the story we're telling ourselves about that. And then they can't know our intentions unless we disclose and are, and are, and are open about that. So it sets up this really nice boundary structure for having more, uh, more healthy dialogue when things get difficult. Yeah. And, and I would say we're going to get a little bit more into conflict, but I would say in that two by two of impact and intent, there is also a path to uh, a, a resolution or to reducing conflict, which is when, when we do start to get curious about the intention of the other, then we start to uh, uh, get to empathy, right? And empathy yes. is a really great way to um, um, get to repair if there's a rupture in a relationship. Absolutely. Maybe that's a great place for us to kind of transition and talk about some conflict tendencies that can show up in the, in the clients that we work with and just, you know, kind of in, in our experience. Um, so do you want to talk a little bit, Chris, about the, the different categories of conflict tendencies that, that we see? Yes. So I'm going to start out making it very binary and then we'll get a little bit more subtle. Yep. Uh, but there's two tendencies. There are conflict seekers and there are conflict avoiders. And I'm sure as I say this, and you are listening, you might start to uh, notice what type of conflict, you know, seeker or avoider you are. Mm -hmm. And when I say there's some subtlety, uh, there, there are different contexts in which we might be a seeker and contexts in which we might be avoider. Right. Yeah. Uh, however, we, I think we tend to gravitate more towards one side of the spectrum than the other overall. And would you say, um, Chris, that, that in this seeker and avoider kind of framework that there are maybe uh, more healthy generative manifestations of, uh, of each of those? I think it's, number one, really important to understand what type you are coming to the table with, if you're a seeker or an avoider. And then doubly important is to understand who you are across the table from right? Are, are they going to be a seeker or an avoider? Mm, mm -hmm. And I wouldn't say that being a seeker or being an avoider is necessarily healthy or unhealthy. Yep. But what I would say is the behavior that you engage in conversation with can create more healthy conversations or situations. So to get even more into the, the detail, if, if you are an avoider, it might behoove you to step lean in a little bit more to not seeking conflict, but to setting yourself up for a conversation in which you've thought about the it, we, I, how you've been impacted and perhaps what the other person's intent are. And maybe you'll need to step into conflict a bit more than you're comfortable with. Right. Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And conversely, if you're a seeker, you might need to step out of that direct conflict a bit more to make room for, especially if you're in a conversation with an avoider to make room for their intentions for how you have impacted them, right? To, to hear out what's going on on the other side of that table. Right, right. So again, I'm hearing these sort of sub-themes of curiosity and empathy being really, really important here. Um, it might be helpful to name too that, um, you know, in a positive sense, often what seekers are after is directness, honesty, you know, wanting to move toward 
move away from stuckness and towards some kind of resolution, that can have a very, that, that is a very positive um, set of intentions. It can maybe become problematic when it has this sort of shadow component of maybe uh, control or, you know, power over that might annihilate the other person, you know, intentionally or unintentionally. Yeah. Whereas the, the avoiders may be optimizing for harmony in relationship. And that is not inherently a bad thing, is it? I mean, that's that there's a positive aspect of that. But as you said, that avoidance, the shadow of that avoidance may be, well, we stay stuck and we never actually, you know, lean in and have a hard conversation that could actually make things better. Absolutely. Especially at that we level, right? Right. When, when you're dealing with the seeker and avoider uh, dynamic, having a conversation at the we level can really open things up. Yep. Uh, maybe that's a good place for us to kind of bring this home with some um, final recommendations and uh, maybe final best practices. So what are some things, Chris, that you would share with a client who is stuck in a conflict situation or a difficult difficult conversation that they need to have? Let's say we've walked through these frameworks. They understand it, we, I. They understand kind of the the groundwork of disentangling intent and impact. They're starting to understand their own conflict patterning, you know, their own response patterning. What are the next set of recommendations that we might give to those folks on, on, on how to proceed? Yeah. So um, I'll, I'll use the three levels because I think the three levels are, might, I might give different uh, um, advice for each level. So for a lot of my clients, just understanding that the levels exist is a huge reframe. And there are some clients who immediately get it and say, you're right, I'm totally getting stuck at the we or the I, I just need to make this about the it. And so what it can do for some is to compartmentalize where they're getting stuck and then lean into the it level conversation, which perhaps the other person that they're in dialogue with is, is really trying to have. That's kind of one level. The next level at the we level is uh, perhaps there needs to be an honest and direct conversation about how the way that we are interrelating with each other is having an impact on me. And, and likely I'm going to say, use the word negative impact, but really what we're talking about, I used this term before is there's perhaps been a rupture in the relationship. I, I don't trust you as I, as I want to because of how some of these past interactions have, have occurred. And so in those conversations, it's really important to understand how I'm getting triggered or how I'm getting stuck at the we level what my intentions when I am coming to talk to you, my colleague who I've lost a little bit of trust with might be the impact that the way you show up is on me. Mm -hmm. And in those situations, I invite them to talk about the situation behavior impact feedback model. So uh, giving that person who you want to build trust with an actual um, a specific example that they can draw from that could get better. And then at the eye level, that's where uh, we really get into coaching, right? And that, that radical self-inquiry that uh, Reboot listeners know so much about. Right. Yep, this is where really um, we can do, we can support ourselves in, in you know, exploring the eye level for sure, but it can be quite helpful to have uh, a skilled coach or therapist or, or even a, a, a friend who is um, not just going to affirm your frustrations or, you know, tell you to get over it, uh, but someone who can really listen and uh, ask 
great questions and help you kind of untangle the threads of your own stuckness internally can be really, really helpful there. Then maybe just a few things as we wrap it up here that I would say, um, we've done a lot of work. Uh, we've shared a lot about curiosity, asking great questions, listening as kind of baseline uh, foundational skill sets for leadership. I think all of those things come into play here as well. Can I can I stay curious when I'm in that conversation? Can I try to ask questions? Can I try to draw out more of the other person's experience? And then signal that I'm really listening by mirroring back uh, what I'm hearing. Um, there are certainly frameworks for getting unstuck, and, and which we may maybe we'll address that in a future episode. But for now, I think this sets folks up to at least begin taking some really generative, hopefully helpful steps through conflict. And and I think maybe as a closing thought, just a reminder that conflict can, can be an opportunity. Um, there is no organizational life without conflict. There's no marriage without conflict um, that I'm aware of anyway. And so really this becomes about how do we navigate that? How do we move through conflict in a healthy way? Not how do we avoid it, but how do we move through it? And usually moving through it in the same way that putting stress on our muscles strengthens them over time, that the stress in those relationships and moving through those can actually leave us on the other side with better, more resilient relationships. If you enjoyed this episode, go to reboot.io slash podcasts to listen to all five seasons of our podcast conversations. And leave us a review on iTunes. That's the best way for other people to find and enjoy the show just as you have done. And don't forget to join our mailing list at reboot.io slash sign up so you never miss an episode. Thank you for listening. How long till my soul gets it right? Conflict is normal, and it's a healthy part of any relationship. Having conflict with your co-founder is not a sign of failure. What matters most is how we acknowledge and move through conflict that can make or break our teams and companies. At Reboot, we've developed a free email course full of lessons and exercises that will bring understanding, alignment, efficiency, and satisfaction to your co-founder relationship. Over the course of five days, you and your fellow co-founders will discover the three most common types of conflict, explore the art of communication, and gain valuable practical skills for navigating and preventing conflict in the future. To learn more and register for the Co-Founder Reboot course, head to reboot.io slash co-founder reboot. We hope you find this work nourishing and positively life-changing for you, your co-founders, and your organizations.